now that night two has finally concluded a WrestleMania and this whole WrestleMania big old week in phenomenon has finally been done. I am here G2 to give you guys the wrestling breakdown of the week from April the 4th to now April the 11th. The time by the time you're listening to this, it'll be Monday morning. WrestleMania has finally concluded, has wrapped up both night one and night two. New Japan have had their Sakura uh, Sakura Genesis on April the 4th. NXT TakeOver had both of their nights. Let me just give you the quick version before I get into my little in-depth on each of these events here. New Japan Professional Wrestling is different from WWE. They are more... Okay, more hard-hitting, more action-paced, more action-paced style professional wrestling. They are not, they're telling you a story in their wrestling. They don't always have to have their commentators tell you, okay, this will happen, this will happen. They let the wrestlers tell the story in the ring, and that's what happened in New Japan. For New Japan Sakura Genesis, I got half of the matches predicted right there were six matches on that event. I got half of them right. The ones that I got right were the multi-main matches of Chaos going against Bullet Club, the United Empire going against Los Ingobernables de Japón, and I got uh, Rapunky 3K going against Suzuki Goon. What I did get wrong was the first match Suzuki Goon of Doki, Zack Zaber Jr., and Tai Chi going against Bullet Club's Jado, uh, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa. I picked Bullet Club, but I was wrong. Suzuki Goon won that one. I picked in another match, it was Kojima and Tanahashi going against Bullet Club's Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. I picked Bullet Club's Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. Wrong. Tanahashi and Kojima won that one. And in the main event, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, I picked Kota Ibushi to retain the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship over Will Ospreay because it was his first defense, and I was wrong. Will Ospreay won that bout. Now, going on to, before I get, I'm going to give you the quick versions of each event before I get into my little in-depth of the big events. Basically, what happened of my, matter of fact, I'm just doing it now. For New Japan, the big thing coming out of New Japan Sakura Genesis was Will Ospreay beating Kota Ibushi for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. This was Kota Ibushi's first defense as IWGP World Heavyweight Champion since they fused both the IWGP Heavyweight and the IWGP Intercontinental Championships to create this IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Usually in professional wrestling, whenever a wrestler has been crowned with a new championship, they don't usually lose it on their first defense. WWE does that occasionally. The last time they did it was The Miz when he won it. The WWE Championship offered Drew McIntyre because he cashed in his uh, WWE uh, Money in the Bank on Drew McIntyre for WWE Championship. And Miz lost it to Bobby Lashley like a week later. That was the last time. But even before that time, it it's been a minute since WWE or any other professional wrestling company to my knowledge, pull anything like that. But with a big major title, as then like their big world title, the only time any company ever does anything, like they 
take somebody that's won a belt one week and then they lose the belt the next week that becomes a cash in or somebody is got to uh go away and deal with someone personal life as in their got some vacation time or they dealing with an injury and they gotta heal up it's that type of magnitude even with a tra transitional champion the transitional champion will at least get two weeks or a month with the title before they lose the title to somebody else new japan no Cody Bushi won the the heavyweight and intercontinental title on Wrestle Kingdom uh, night one, and he, he retained his the championships on night two against Jay White. He held the titles until April fourth, whenever he lost the big one, IWGP World Heavyweight Championship to Will Ospreay. That was a complete monkey wrench thrown into the plan. I didn't think that would happen. I don't think anybody thought it would happen, but once it happened. You there you go. You have a new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Will Ospreay is a young, brash, cocky guy, but he is everything that professional wrestling is now and will be going forward on in the future. He is athletic. He is bulky. He has now added muscle to his frame, a meaning he can do power moves more. Um, before this, he was more of a high flyer. He hit some power moves here and there, but he was more speed, high flyer, uh, quick hits. That's about all Will Ospreay was. But now since he's moved into the heavyweight division, he's added more muscle to his body frame and he's hit muscle moves now. And he also still is able to do the high flying and still has retained his speed. But I'm just saying he had more power. Getting back to my point of this championship match, Will Ospreay beats Kota Ibushi. Everybody's in shock and dismay. And his faction, the United Empire, Great O'Con, Jeff Cobb, and their new um, uh, member, Aaron, uh, Aaron, God, Hanare, God, I'm so sorry. Aaron Hanare, he just, I'm just used to him calling him Hanare. But anyway, Aaron Hanare, he uh, has joined the United Empire and they came out and Jeff Cobb hit the world of the world. No tour of the islands. Sorry. Tour of the islands on Cody Bushi after the match was already done to basically pinpoint and put a period on the end of the explanation that United empire is here to stay. We're here to take over. There's nothing nobody can do about it. If you want to try some, come try some. We are the baddest faction right now in new Japan. Well, Osprey gets some mic. And he calls out Okada. Okada beat Will Ospreay on Wrestle Kingdom. So now, Will Ospreay being the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, he wants to regain that loss. So, he calls Okada out. Okada comes out there nonchalant. And Will Ospreay makes a challenge to him, saying, I want to face you and defend my World Heavyweight Championship to regain that loss from Wrestle Kingdom. Okada basically says, he before he can even answer that, Shingo uh, Tagage comes out. And if you remember from my uh, two episodes previously, not the episode last time I talked to you guys on wrestling, but the one before this, that episode, I it was the New Japan um, Cup Finals, and Will Ospreay went against Shingo Tagage. And Shingo lost to Will Ospreay. But in the tournament, Shingo beat... Okada. 
So Shingo basically pointed that out to Will Ospreay, and he told him, I deserve first crack at you since I beat Okada. And because he's the runner-up of the New Japan Cup. Oh, um, Will Ospreay said, you know what? Fine. I will beat you. And then after I beat you, Okada, you're next. And that's basically all from New Japan Sakura Genesis. That was like their big, like, talking moment of the professional wrestling world from New Japan this week. Okay. Now, let me move on to NXT TakeOvers. TakeOver, I had a good record of TakeOver. I was right on everything except for two matches from night one. It was Pete Dunne versus Kushida. I was right in my prediction of Pete Dunne beating Kushida. Then it was MSK versus Legado Del Fantasma versus the Grizzled Young Veterans for the NXT Tag Titles. MSK won that, and they are the new NXT Tag Team Champions. For the number one contender to face Johnny Gargano for night two of NXT TakeOver, I chose Dexter Loomis, but in reality, I was wrong. Bronson Reed run, won that match, and he went on to face Johnny Gargano on night two for the NXT North American title. Continue on. Walter went against Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT UK title on night one. And I was right in my prediction. Walter beat Tommaso Ciampa. And in the main event, it was Io Shirai versus Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship. And I picked Raquel Gonzalez, and Raquel Gonzalez did beat Io Shirai. Now, on night one, the best match of the night for that one was Walter versus Ciampa. Listen, it's two dudes that are hard-hitting. You don't have to get all the flips into it. They're just going out there and straight-up wrestling. They wrestle. They go outside the ring. They try to chop one another. It makes a great element whenever Tommaso Ciampa was able to injure Walter's hand and basically limited Walter from chopping him in the chest. But there was one element in the match, one story that they did tell in the match of how to basically tell the fans and the audience watching at home how hard chop, uh, Walter does chop you. On the outside of the ring, Walter and Ciampa were fighting, and Ciampa is close, leaning onto the announce table. Walter is looking to chop Ciampa right in the chest, and as soon as he is about to hit Tommaso with a chop in his chest, Tommaso leans out the way, and you hear Walter's hand hit the announce table, and he splits the cover of the announce table's desk. Walter's chop is powerful. That's what it was demonstrating to you, letting you know that anytime Walter hits you in your chest, you are one move away from losing the match. Tommaso Ciampa was able to injure Walter's hand enough to limit his chopping ability throughout that whole match. And the funny thing about it, the ending of the match was how Walter beat Tommaso was a chop. I highly suggest you watch that on any uh, streaming website that you could find it on. Go and download and sign up for Peacock. It's $4.99 a month. I mean, it's basically $5 a month to watch NXT, watch WWE, watch anything that you want on NBC that they own. But what I'm getting at is look for that match. That is like the match 
of night one. That's the one I would highly recommend you watching. My second one that I would highly recommend you watching because it was basically 1A, 1B was the triple threat tag team match for the NXT tag team titles. I am a fan of tag team wrestling. Whenever you got more than two competitors in the ring and you got guys that are good wrestlers, it's always a good time as a wrestling fan. And for that one, it was simple and easy. MSK, high-flying dudes, doing whatever they got to do. Grizzly Young Veterans, guys that are on the mat. They are uh, mat technicians. They are dirty, grimy with their, with their approach to tag team wrestling. While Legado del Fantasma, they are Lucha Libre based. They are tag in, tag out, fast move, fast move, and basically double teaming any opportunity that they can get. Now that's from NXT TakeOver Night 1. NXT TakeOver Night 2, again, I was 5-1. and one. And the only thing I got wrong was the NXT North American title match. I picked the winner of the previous night to go against Johnny Gargano. And my pick was Dexter Loomis to go against Johnny. And I lost that one in both aspects. It wasn't Dexter, it was Bronson. And even though I would have picked Bronson, Bronson Reed still lost to Johnny Gargano on night two. Now, on night two predictions... The night two matches were Ember Moon and Shashi Blackheart going against Indy Hartwell and Candice Lorre for the NXT Women Tag Team Championships. I picked Ember Moon and Shashi Blackheart. They won, so that was one up for me. Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly in the main event of TakeOver. I picked Kyle O'Reilly to beat Adam Cole. Kyle O'Reilly won that one, and it was an unsanctioned match. Johnny Gargano versus Bronson Reed. I picked... Bronson by defecto because Bronson won the number one contenders gauntlet match the night before and Bronson lost to Johnny Gargano. So now it's two and one. It was Jordan Devlin versus Santos Escobar for the cruiserweight tag cruiserweight championship to unify the cruiserweight title in a ladder match. I picked Santos Escobar. Santos Escobar won. Now it's three one. It was Finn Balor going against Karrion Cross. For the NXT Championship, I picked Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross won. So now that was four and one. I think I said five and one throughout that one, but that was completely wrong. My bad on that. It was five matches that night. Four of them I was right. One of them I was wrong. Let me correct that. There you go. Uh, for night two, the match of that night easily was Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. It was unsanctioned, a.k.a. weapons were used. They were hitting each other with steel chairs, steel chains. I mean, just beating each other down to the point. Point was, um, Adam Cole is on the ramp. Kyle O'Reilly has Adam Cole in either a sleeper hold or a choke hold in the front ways. No, no. Yeah, he had him in a uh, guillotine in the front. And Adam Cole was walking up the steps, walking up the ramp, and he slams Kyle O'Reilly right through the ramp. And in doing so, he wins, He goes right through the ramp with Kyle O'Reilly. And Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole get out from that disastrous uh, area. And they go right back in the ring. They continue to fight. The match ends when Kyle O'Reilly uh, low blows Adam Cole. And Adam Cole is now leaning in kneeling over a steel chair and Kyle O'Reilly gets to the top rope. He wraps his knee around with uh, the steel chain that was used previously 
earlier in the match, and he jumps off and he knees uh, Adam Cole's uh, shoulder blade to the neck area right on the chair, and he pins Adam Cole. If you want to watch any match of all both takeovers, if you just want to pick one, I suggest Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly, night two. You won't be disappointed. It's a great, great uh, match. Now, on to WrestleMania, the big show. WrestleMania night one, it was a good night for your boy. I had five picks that were right and one that was wrong, and I was in... I did not include in my whole prediction of last episode the tag team turmoil match for the chance to fight uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler for the WWE Tag Women's Tag Team Championships on night two. So that's why you're going to hear me say this right now. The tag team turmoil match and the women's tag team title match, I did not include in this uh, prediction, in this, uh, my predictions. But let me just give you the results right now. In the tag team turmoil match, it was Mandy Rhodes and Dana Brooke going against Lana and Naomi going against the Riot Squad, which consists of Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot going against Billy Kay and Carmella, then going against Tamina and Natalia. The winners were Natalia and Tamina, and they went against uh, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax on night two. Night two, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler beat Tamina and Natalia. There you go. Now, let me get back to night one. On night one, Cesaro beat Seth Rollins. That was my prediction, and it was right. In a steel cage match, Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon. I picked Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman won in that steel cage match. The New Day going against AJ Styles and almost... For the Raw Tag Team titles. I picked the New Day. I was wrong on that. AJ Styles and Almas are now the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest going against The Miz and John Morrison. I picked Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. Damian Priest and Bad Bunny were the winners. Lashley going against Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. Last episode, I picked Lashley to beat Drew McIntyre. And Lashley beat Drew McIntyre. And in the main event of WrestleMania Night 1, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I picked Bianca Belair to win the SmackDown Women's title, and Bianca Belair did win the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, on Night 1, Cesaro versus Seth Rollins is the match of the night just for athletically wrestling. They both know how to wrestle. They both wrestle real well. They told a great story of Cesaro just wanting to get the swing on Seth Rollins, and if you don't know what the swing is, he holds him by his legs, and he just starts twirling him around in the ring. And that's all the swing was. Look at, go to Peacock. Yet again, this is not an ad. This is just me just being a complete fan. Just go to Peacock, look at night one, Cesaro versus Seth Rollins. You won't, it won't disappoint you. It's a great match. But the best, the biggest match of that night was Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks were are two black women that main evented WrestleMania for the SmackDown Women's title. This is the first time in WrestleMania history that two black women were in the main event of WrestleMania ever. 
They just at WrestleMania 35 had their first ever women's in a main event. It was Becky Lynch going against Charlotte, going against Ronda Rousey in the triple threat of WrestleMania 35. But uh, WrestleMania 37 of this year, night one, you got two black women fighting for the SmackDown Women's Championship. It was a great story. And as soon as the bell rung, the you just start hearing the fans start cheering and jumping up and down because they were ready to see this match happen. They were ready to see history happen just off, just go off in their face. And in the ring, before they even locked up, you could see Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks just soaking in the fans, cheering this historic moment. And Bianca Belair is within the moments of crying, and you could feel that emotion through the television screen through the camera you can feel that emotion that she is so happy just to be here in that moment and just she just soaking it all in same thing with banks banks was able to compose herself but she was still smiling and you start seeing it through in the eyes but bianca she you can she she was just like a pure nice like it's it was all written down in her face of how much she couldn't wait to just get into this match and just do what she got to do but you just saw and you felt the emotions because she in her face she wanted to cry she wanted to cry tears but she knew she had a job to do anyway getting back to my getting back to this uh Blair and Banks had a great match. They they showed off Bianca's strength. They showed off Bianca's speed. This match was basically showing the world this who Bianca Belair is because everybody knows in the wrestling world who Sasha Banks is. Sasha Banks used this match as a prop up to elevate Bianca Belair to the next level of her career. And that's what happened. And in the end, Bianca Belair hit the KOD, which is a reverse torture rack, into a slam. And Bianca pinned Sasha Banks to get the 1-2-3 of night one. And on night one, your boy was 5-1. Boy, did night two not go my way. Oh my God, my picks were utter garbage it was utter trash my g by god if you were to tell me gerald you will go one in five on night two just flip your scorecard around from night one to night two night one you have five and one gerald flip your scorecard around you that's what it's going to be for you in the next night i don't look at you and said no how what tell me which matches i would have got wrong as a matter of fact night two here's the matches that Here's the matches that happened. I'm going to read them off. I'm going to read off what I had and read off what actually happened. Riddle versus Sheamus for the United States Championship. I pick Riddle to win. Wrong. Sheamus is now your new United States Champion. Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. I had Sami Zayn winning that match. Wrong. Kevin Owens won the match. The Fiend going against Randy Orton. I picked The Fiend. Wrong. Randy Orton won that. Asuka going against Rhea Ripley for the Raw Women's Championship. I pick Asuka to retain her Raw Women's Championship. Wrong. We have a new 
Raw Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley. And in the main event of WrestleMania Night 2, Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Dave Ryan in a triple threat match. I pick Edge to win the Universal title. Big wrong, big hot stepper wrong. Roman Reigns won the match and he retained his uh, Universal title. The only match I got right of Night 2 was... Big E versus Apollo Crews in a Nigerian drum fight, which is a non-sanctioned, not non-sanctioned, a no-holds-barred match for the Intercontinental title. I pick Apollo Crews, and Apollo Crews retained, not retained, but he is now our new Intercontinental Champion. Ladies and gentlemen, by God, I know professional wrestling, okay? And for me to have to sit it watch WrestleMania Night 2 and just constantly remind myself of how wrong I was on my picks. It did not feel good watching it. It didn't feel good. I mean, I, it was good watching the product with fans, seeing the fans cheer for these performers and seeing these guys and girls out there just embracing and relishing in the crowds, just cheering on what they're doing but me watching at home just seeing my picks go down in flames jesus it was not it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't good for me it wasn't good for me at all the one that i was upset about the most was the fiend versus randy orton this was an easy foregone conclusion of the fiend beating randy orton but no WWE decided to do something different. They decided to give the win to Randy Orton. And if you haven't watched Night 2, which, obviously, if you haven't watched, go watch it on Peacock. But here's a spoiler tip. Spoiler. If you don't want to listen to this, uh, just fast forward a couple more seconds. If I'm still talking on The Fiend, fast forward just a couple more after that. Until you hear me stop talking about The Fiend. And that's basically what I'm going to get to you here. The Fiend has his whole special entrance, and he comes out of a jack-in-the-box next to the stage, and he's got a brand-new mask. They just added a little more touch-up to the mask from his previous mask before he got burnt up. He has the same gear, but his different uh, chest piece gear is black, and he still carries the red and white, not red and white, but the red and white uh, stripy pants. Anyway, getting to the match. Bray is, the Fiend, is beating up on Randy, or not I me, mean, just beating up on Randy. Randy would try to get some offense in, but he couldn't do it. Red, uh, the Fiend is about to hit Randy with Sister Abigail. The lights, no, no, the lights didn't go out. There is a woman on top of the jack-in-the-box. Oh, let me sidestep this here. The Fiend makes a special entrance, and Alexa Bliss, this is before the match happens, so I'm rewinding this a little bit. Alexa Bliss comes out. Randy Orton has already made his entrance. Randy Orton is in the ring. Alexa Bliss has this uh, big old jack-in-the-box next, next to the ring. She comes down and starts twisting the uh, jack-in-the-box with the handle. Keep on turning the handle and turning the handle. And in the arena, you hear the jack-in-the-box music go off. And then you get to the end. You know how a jack-in-the-box goes. And then it stops the whole place. The whole sound effects and everything goes off like the original, like the Fiend is coming. The Fiend comes out the jack-in-the-box. 
and he's debuting his new slash old look. The Fiend, now I'm fast forwarding it back to The Fiend giving Randy Orton's sister Abigail. The Fiend's about to give Randy Orton the sister Abigail, and then he looks at the top of the Jack in the Box, and now somebody's on top of the Jack in the Box. And who is it, you ask? It's Alexa Bliss on top of the Jack in the Box, but she is not in her childish, uh, childish demeanor uh, style on top of the Jack in the Box. No, 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 no. She is sitting down cross, crisscross applesauce style, wearing all black, with black liquid keep on just drenching off of her face constantly it led to the whole crowd basically even aside like what is this the commentators were lost they didn't know what this was and the fiends let go of randy and he looked at alexa bliss because he didn't even know what was happening and she just stood there just looked she just sat there looking at the fiend just constantly look and the fiend just stared at her he forgot that Randy was there. Randy turns the fiend around and he hits him with an RKO and Randy Orton pins the fiend. Randy Orton has beaten the fiend after the fiend has come back from being burnt alive in his first match since TLC. That usually doesn't happen on WWE. But we'll have to see how this whole story continues to go. Uh, night two, the match of the night for night two is Easy, to, easy is the triple threat match. It's Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryan. It's quite simple, okay? Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan and Edge go at it, but in a normal triple threat match, they usually get, they usually don't do a lot of steel chairs and a lot of uh, weapons in a triple threat match. When you usually see a triple threat match in professional wrestling. But this one, they used steel chairs. They were using the announce table. They were doing what was out of the box in a usual triple threat match. But it made it entertaining for the people watching and the people at the at the event. It made it entertaining. And you're also uh, expanding the limitations from Edge because Edge is a older professional wrestler. He hasn't wrestled a lot this year. And he didn't wrestle a lot last year, so he's still trying to work the kinks in the ring, and he doesn't want to look. You don't want the main event of your biggest show of night two, the last show, the last match of this whole weekend, to be a dud. So I understand why they went with this creative uh, direction to do this. Getting back to my point here, they had a great match. It was nothing to uh nothing to complain about. It was it was you saw sides of Dan Bryan getting less cheery and him getting back to that raw grit of him being a uh, filthy guy when he wants to be a mean nasty guy a brawler instead of being a technician. You saw Roman embracing the fans, booing him, the way that WWE has wanted. No, the way that WWE should have wanted him to be booed years ago, but they were too coward to turn him into a bad guy. So Roman was able to get his boos the way that he should have gotten it whenever he was supposed to turn heel a couple years ago. And then you saw in this match, well, Edge be Edge. Edge uh, 
turned on that rated R superstar mode and he was able to go El Cabong with chairs to Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. And in the end, it was Roman Reigns who ended up going Cabong on Edge. He hit Edge. Let me rewind this. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you haven't seen the end of WrestleMania Night 2, just fast forward it until you hear me stop talking about Roman Reigns and this whole triple threat match. Edge, this is almost, this part is close to the end. Edge has Roman and Daniel Bryan set up in different spots of the ring. They, both of their heads are under on top of the chairs, on top of a chair each. Roman has one chair on top of his head. Daniel Bryan has one chair on top, well, underneath his head. And Edge has a chair in his hand and he's about to give uh, them both a concerto. Edge goes over and he hits Daniel Bryan with a concerto. He's about to do the same thing to Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns' cousin, the right-hand man, Jay uh, Uso, comes in and he hits... He, uh, yeah, he does super kick Edge, and he tells Roman Reigns to get up, get out of the way, and Edge gets up and he hits Jay Uso with the chair in the gut. Roman Reigns gets up, he hits Edge with a spear. He puts Edge head now on top of a steel chair. Roman Reigns grabs the chair and he hits Edge with the concerto. He performs the concerto on Edge. And to end the match off after that, he drags Edge's body on top of Daniel Bryan's body and Roman covers both of the bodies. And that gives Roman the one, two, three. The symbolic nature of that pinning uh, demonstration was I pinned both of my competitors. I'm on the top of this mountain. You may say I'm the pinnacle, wink, wink, nudge, nudge here. I am at the pinnacle of the mountain. I am the head of the table. I am the man. Nobody is going to beat me for this universal championship. That's what that symbolized. Even the commentators commentated and asked Roman Reigns has beaten both men who is going to take this universal title off of him so that pin more guaranteed you what they were trying to get across and they got it across perfectly anyway night two was fine I was trash in my predictions night one I was great I almost had a perfect record same thing with NXT takeovers. I almost had a perfect record on those. By God, I was good. Um, now let me get down to AEW. AEW. Um, AEW had Darby Allen going against JD Drake for the AEW uh, TNT Championship match. Uh, championship. That was a good match. I'm not going to hate on that match at all. I am upset that WWE didn't sign JD Drake whenever they had the chance to, and they signed his tag part tag team partner, uh, Anthony Henry. But hey, to each his own. JD Drake does well in the AEW. Whole AEW gives him some type of like little, not even a little, but just give him a contract and pay him for appearance upon appearance. Because I guarantee, you, the more time people see him the more people's going to get used to seeing somebody like him. Not even somebody like him. J.D. Drake is uh Eddie Kingston uh, type dude. He is 
the Arn Anderson type dude. He, if anything, JD Drake works with a FTR style trio if they were to do those three guys, but that's not happening. Uh, Darby Allen retained over JD Drake. You had uh, the inner circle coming out to the ring and cutting a promo on uh, the pinnacle. And Chris Jericho was basically the front man. He talked that whole promo off. And the main gist was they're here to beat up the pinnacle. They're here to take back everything that they tr- the pinnacle tried to steal from them. And on May 5th, one day before my birthday, May 6th, God's gift to me, May 6th, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, you will be getting blood and guts. It is AEW's version, since they can't since they can't say the actual name of this match, War Games. It is the original War Games, and if you don't know what War Games is, War Games is two rings will be there will be two rings, two wrestling rings connected to one another. And it will have a steel cage around that ring, and it will have a lid on top of it. WWE owns the rights to War Games, the name of it, because War Games was the name of this match in WCW. And WWE bought out WCW in 2001. And with that, WWE has the licensing to the uh, pay-per-views and the terms and a lot of things WWE owns in professional wrestling from that deal. So AEW has now called it blood and guts but getting back to the point it will be on may 5th you will get uh blood and guts the pinnacle going against the inner circle we were supposed to get a blood and guts match last year but it was only supposed to be one team exchange out it was supposed to be last year the inner circle going against the elite which consisted of the young bucks matt jackson and nick jackson kenny omega uh, Hangman Adam Page and Cody Rhodes, but since this year, uh, everything has changed and all these characters have changed, and the elite are not technically all together anymore, they had to now throw in a different style t- team to represent a foe for the inner circle, and it's now the pinnacle. So, on May 5th, you will get Blood and Guts, the pinnacle going against. Uh, the Inner Circle on AEW Dynamite. What else happened on this week? Oh, yeah, the big thing. The bigger thing besides the uh, the Inner Circle returning, it was the sixth man, John Moxley and the Young Bucks going against the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega. And like I said before, it was a good match. And if you listen to the last episode, it, they did exactly what... I thought will happen, but they actually competed more in this match. You had Kenny Omega actually fighting the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks actually fought Nick Jackson more uh, than Matt Jackson. Nick Jackson was all gung ho to fight Kenny Omega. Like, okay, we can get this out of our system and da 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 da. Matt Jackson, he was reluctant to fight Kenny Omega. He was cool fighting Luke, I mean, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. But whenever it's time for Kenny, he was hesitant. Yeah, he'll slam him. Yeah, he'll 
throw a kick or hit him in the midsection or something like that. But like actually fighting him the way that he did with Carl and Don Gallows, Matt Jackson wasn't trying to do that. So that's whenever Nick would do that work and John Moxley would do the work. And in the end, it was it came down to Matt and Kenny in the ring because Nick took out uh, Don Gallows and Carl Anderson and John Moxley's in the corner, hand on the rope, and he's watching Nick and not Nick, but Matt and Kenny have it out in the ring. Kenny's about to hit Matt with the V trigger, and Matt super kicks Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega now drops to the mat, and Matt Jackson now gets up, and he, uh, his brother Nick gets in the ring, and he's about. And Nick tells him to grab Kenny's other arm while he grabs one arm. And they're about to do the BTE trigger, which is basically both of them hitting Kenny Omega with the knee. One knee to the face, one knee to the back of the head. And Nick is ready to do it. Matt Jackson is reluctant to do it. And while this is happening, the camera is pointing at... You can see Matt has him to stand on his face because he doesn't want to do it. And then you see Nick basically tell him, okay, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's hurry up. Let's do this. And then you see the camera angle shot of John Moxley just in the corner just being pissed because he sees that Matt doesn't want to do it. Nick has to grab Matt and tell him, hey, yo, let's do this. Let's hurry up and do this. Matt then like, okay. Yet again, another hesitation. He sets it up. They're about to do it. He doesn't pull the trigger and do it. John Moxley gets tired. He gets in the ring and he starts getting in Matt Jackson's face and Nick Jackson's face like, okay, screw it. Looks like I'm going to have to do this. He grabs Kenny Omega off the mat. He hits him with two paradigm shifts. The first paradigm shift he does, Matt, no, not Matt, but Nick Jackson tells him, okay, pin John Moxley, not uh, pin Kenny Omega. John Moxley gets and starts mouthing off to Nick like, you don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it again. He hits Kenny Omega with another, the second paradigm shift. And now Nick is really upset with John. Like, okay, he, you got, you made your point. Pit him. John Moxley ain't trying to hear that. He puts Kenny Omega in the bulldog sleep, basically a sleeper hold. And he has Kenny in a sleeper hold. And you see Kenny start turning red and Moxley's just holding it in. And then, you see the camera angles pointing at Matt and Nick, like telling John, that's enough, that's enough. And then Matt Jackson had enough and he super kicked John Moxley's head in. He super kicked uh, John Moxley. And then you hear the announcer say, oh my God, what is this? What What's going on? And then you see Nick super kick John Moxley in the head. And now you're starting to understand, okay, the Young Bucks now have decided within their minds now that they're going to join up with the young no or join up with Kenny and the Good Brothers. This doesn't this is a confirm this is not confirmed until after the match. And let me get to this. After they super kick John Moxley, they put Kenny Omega over uh John Moxley's body and the ref counts. One, two, three. Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson gets in the ring. They pick up Kenny and they're just so smiling and so like, yeah. 
and they're trying to cheer up the young bucks because the young bucks is now confused like what did we just do and such and everything then don Callis comes from the announce table he gets inside the ring and if you remember what i said the last episode that i the last week's episode don Callis had a confrontation with matt jackson saying you are pathetic Kenny picked you. He didn't pick AEW. You never picked Kenny Omega. You're a guy. You guys are not the same as you guys once were in Japan. You guys are. You guys need to fix yourself. So now he's coming inside the ring with all the guys, with the Young Bucks, with Kenny Omega, with Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson, and all these guys are trying to cheer up the Young Bucks, and you see them still have an inner turmoil. Karma inner turmoil within themselves. Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows pick up John Moxley and the camera pans over back to the Young Bucks and then you see them both talk to one another and they said, okay, let's do it. They super kick John Moxley again. And now they have now solidified that they are now joining back up again with Kenny and the Good Brothers. So now they are one whole big happy family again. And Kenny Omega wants to throw up the two sweet. Matt Jackson says, no, we all, we do this as a family. We hug. They all do a big group hug. And that's how AEW ends off. Those were, that was like the bigger, biggest thing out of AEW this week for them. Yeah, that, that's basically what happened. That was the quick uh, fire wrap up that I can basically give you guys. Uh, I hope you guys did enjoy this again. Watch WrestleMania if you haven't seen it. Uh, Bad Bunny. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, Bad Bunny did a great job as a celebrity going into going into the wrestling ring. Now, lately, it's starting to seem that celebrities that do professional wrestling that are jumping in the ring actually take it more serious than past celebrities' appearances in a professional wrestling ring. Right now, uh, my... Bad Bunny's in the top, in a top spot of being one of the best uh, celebrities to jump into the professional wrestling ring just just to do it. I put Bad Bunny up there. And just look at the match. Just look at the match or look at TMZ or go to YouTube. Somebody has it up there because it's Bad Bunny. He's a uh, multi-platinum record selling uh, artist and he makes a lot of uh streams on spotify and i mean that's all i basically can say about bad bunny i don't really listen to his music but i can say that he's a fan of professional wrestling and he actually took wrestling serious whenever he uh jumped into the ring and at wrestlemania his match was straight his match was fine his match was better than i expected it to be i think he blew uh everybody's expectations out the gate Bad Bunny, good job for you, sir. Um, Again, if you haven't watched WrestleMania, watch WrestleMania. It's on Peacock. If you haven't watched NXT TakeOver, that's on Peacock, too. It's only five bucks. I don't... Yet again, I'm not sponsored by them. Just I'm just a guy that likes professional wrestling. That's all I can basically tell you. Anyway, that is all I have for, for this week of uh, wrestling highlights of the week. And just to give you guys a catch up right now, if you want to watch professional wrestling, we wrestling is going 
There is wrestling on every single day of the week this week. Yeah, this, from now on until wrestling has changed, until somebody changes it up, there will be a wrestling program on every night of the week. From Monday through Friday, there will be a wrestling program on every night. Monday Night Raw is from 8 to 11 on USA Network. Tuesday, and that's on Monday night, is in the name. Tuesdays, NXT on USA Network from 8 to 10 o'clock. And I think I said 8 to 10 o'clock for Monday Night Raw, but let me rephrase that. Monday Night Raw, 8 to 11. NXT on Tuesday, 8 to 10. Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite, that's on TNT. That's on 8 to 10. Uh, Access Television, which is uh, Impact Wrestling, that's on Thursday night. And that's from 8 to 10. And then you got Friday Night Smackdown, which is on Fox, from 8 to 10. As you can tell, they have liked to keep that 8 o'clock, that primetime sweet spot. They like to grab it up. Apparently, that's a big sweet spot. That's big primetime real estate there. Anyway, that is Professional Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I have been your host, G2. Thank you for listening. And I will see you guys next week after I uh, finally get some sleep. But then again, this is still now we're entering a new year of professional wrestling. Yeah. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week with my wrestling highlights. Thank you for listening. I am out. Peace. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.